A lot of things are going on in the world that we are living in, and I, I wanted to come today with one question. And it, it kind of connects up. It connects up in a lot of things that we do, a lot of things that we think, a lot of things that uh, make up our life. The question goes like this. Are you preparing? Question mark. Are you preparing? Now, again, when you think about it, and I don't know if you ever did or not, but life is filled with preparation. You prepare for everything. You prepare to eat, right? You prepare to go to sleep. You prepare to maybe and plan to watch a television program. You prepare your careers. You prepare for certain events that might be coming your way that you want to plan, and that planning oftentimes involves certain preparation, especially if it's an outing. It might be, you know, a work uh, event where you're going to be out of town for two or three days. You've got to pack a suitcase. You've got to put all these things together and prepare when you put these plans together. You may be planning a vacation. You may be planning, as I say, a, a travel event. You may be uh, involved in a lot of things, uh, planning a career. In preparation to a career, you have to do what? You have to maybe go to college, maybe vocational school. You have to take some time and get some effort involved in preparing what these plans are all about. You have, in some cases, uh, marriage, preparing for major purchases, so many things. Long-term plans, short-term plans. A lot of short-term plans, oftentimes you put them together to achieve and accomplish the objectives of long-term plans. And a lot of times that takes the preparation, the, the uh, fortitude, mental fortitude, emotional balance and dedication to handling certain sacrifices along the way as you do what you've got to do in order to accomplish what you're accomplishing. Today, in our particular case, I'd, I'd like to just uh, apply this and connect it up with the question of are we really preparing for what really matters to us as Christians? And I want to take a moment. Let's wipe out our minds here for all the things that are in the backdrop and the noise that we hear during the week and ask ourselves and face this question real strongly today. Are we really preparing for the kingdom of God? The kingdom of God. That's an important preparation. And our whole life right now, our whole life, when you think about it and when you come down to it and distill all of what we are and who we are and what we involve ourselves with should be dedicated to that achievement, accomplishing that goal of crossing that finish line and becoming one with God in the kingdom of God as a spirit, born spirit being, uh, serving him and helping to reinstitute, of course, First of all, the laws of God on planet Earth for a thousand years as the millennium portrays, but that's short term. I've often said at the Feast of Tabernacles, don't get your eyes set on the millennium. That's just the warm-up. <laughs> that is just the warm-up phase. That's getting used to your new body. It's getting new, used to the new ways that we could communicate and travel. Uh, it's getting used to uh, our new surroundings. It's just a matter of a thousand years of orientation, briefing, and hoping to share it with additional ones that didn't get it first time around. 
hopefully they'll get it the second time, you know. Uh, and having their opportunity for the first time in their lives of being able to have an opportunity to accept Jesus Christ as their Savior. And then from there, we have what? As Revelation portrays at the end of the book, a new heaven, a new earth. Wow. And the Father, the Father coming down here to dwell with us and then this becoming long-term, long-term, that's what your Bible says, long-term, the Father living here. He's moving. <laughs> He's in a temporary tabernacle too, by the way. I don't know if you recognize that. He is. He's moving. He's moving here. This is going to become his permanent tabernacle. That's a lot of stuff when you think about it that is yet out in the future that you and I have opportunity to access, be a part of, enjoy, involve ourselves with. Are you preparing for that? I hope you are. Turn with me over here to um, Mark 13 for a moment. Mark 13. We are constantly reminded in Scripture to be prepared. Notice here in verse 33. I'm just going to break in the context because my theme here is preparation, being prepared. And I want to just uh, really zero in on this particular aspect of the theme. So I'm not going to be really too concerned about context. But however, we certainly do know the context of, of some of these chapters that I'll be referencing. Here in Mark 13, 33, I'm sure many of you are familiar with the context, but the point is well taken in this sense regarding the context, and that is Jesus says, take you heed, watch and pray, for you know not when the time is. And that's all about taking heed, preparing, be, be pla uh, planning on knowing full well that there are some times that are coming and therefore pray. In this particular case, he says, pray because you don't know when everything's going to break loose. He goes down further in verse 35. He says, therefore you watch or watch you therefore. For you know not when the master of the house comes, at evening, midnight, at the cock crowing, or in the morning, lest coming suddenly he finds you unprepared. That's what sleeping is all about. That's the characterization there. He finds you unprepared. He finds you sleeping at the switch. And what I say unto you, I say to all, watch. Over here in Matthew chapter 24, same thing, same theme, driven home, same story, but from a different perspective. Matthew's writing in this particular case here. And in chapter 24 and in verse 42, we read here, Watch therefore, for you know not what hour your Lord does come. And then notice the description of the preparation. He uses this as an analogy for reference to illustrate to all of us how we should plan and be prepared uh, for anything. And that's the principle we should extrapolate out of verse 43. But know this, if the goodman of the house had known in what watch the thief would come, he would have watched and would not have suffered his house to be broken up. Therefore, be you also ready for in such an hour as you think not the Son of Man comes. Who then is a faithful and wise servant? Well, as he answers, whom his Lord has made ruler over his house to give them meat in due season. Well, blessed is that servant, here's the answer, whom his Lord, when he comes, shall find so doing. In other words, that individual, he's vigilant. He's up, he's on his game. He, he knows what's happening. He's plugged in. Nothing's getting by him. As a matter of fact, he is constantly on his guard about his 
house, meaning his own, you could extrapolate, tabernacle, his own being. He's watchful about the character that he's developing. He's watchful about what he is doing in terms of his personality and the character development that he is in. And consequently, if the thief does come, he's ready to handle that uh, attempted stealing that may, uh, in fact, occur uh, from time to time, which in our lives, and we see that happening by virtue of the many things we find ourselves contending with in the course of life. Over here in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, though the topic is about speaking in tongues, again, a point well taken here with regards to the importance of being prepared, thereby knowing what you're reading, understanding what you are all about, and the things that pertain to giving yourself consciousness and light and insight here, though, in the context of speaking in tongues and attempting to try to illustrate why it's so important you're able to understand my language, that I'm just not up here speaking to you in French, or I'm just not up here speaking to you in Spanish, and there's nobody in the congregation that can translate what I'm saying, so why would I be saying what I'm saying in the language you don't understand? That's silliness. And Paul is attempting to try to uh, draw this uh, out to educate everybody. But in the course of that, again, points this out, verse 7, four, chapter 14, 1 Corinthians. Even the, um, verse 6, let's go up to verse 6. Now, brethren, if I come unto you speaking with tongues, what shall I profit you except I shall speak to you either by revelation or by knowledge or by prophesying or by doctrine? And even these even uh, things without life giving sound, whether they're a pipe, a harp, or some kind of instrument, except to give a distinction in the sounds, how shall it be known what is piped or harped? For if the trumpet give an uncertain sound, who shall prepare himself to battle? It's important, brother. Life is important that we prepare for things. That is fundamental. It's basic in having successful lives, for that matter in uh, preparing for the things that we do. If you do take time to prepare for the things that you do, chances are you're going to do it better because you're going to take some time to think things through so that as you think those things through, you can accomplish all that there is to accomplish on whatever that task may be. This is a very important point to always keep in mind found here in the book of Amos with regard to preparation. Notice this, Amos chapter 4 and in verse 12, a very simple, very, very cogent, though, and very pointed statement the prophet makes. He says, therefore, verse 12, chapter 4, book of Amos, thus will I do unto you, O Israel, and because I will do this unto you, prepare to meet your God, O Israel. And we should. At some point, brethren, like it or not, whether we believe in God or not, because there is a God, that solar eclipse proves it beyond a shadow of a doubt. There's no way that could have been designed by just happenstance, coincidence, or the Big Bang Theory, as some would want you to believe. There was thought, calculations, there was ratios drawn, there was tremendous, tremendous calculations and, and formulas put together to make that happen over a 93 million mile playing field with three objects moving, in some cases, at horrendous speeds and getting out the pencil and just... 
<laughs> it's amazing. If you aren't amazed at that, I, I was just dumped. My mouth, I was draw, my mouth was open. Why do I could have caught flies? But the flies and the birds and every, everybody was disoriented. The crickets were out. It was so funny. I mean, and then a cold kind of breeze came on us, which was kind of uh, kind of haunting. You know, while we were watching this thing completely happen for about two minutes and looking at this pupil in the eye, you know, the eye in the sky. <laughs> but uh, it was amazing. And after that experience, you can't help but to say, "Wow." There is truly a God, let alone the fact that when that happened, you could see Mars. Margie had this app on her Apple phone where it tells us what the planets were, and you could see it. That was Mars, you know, and Jupiter was over here because it all kind of opens up on the, on the screen, and you can identify the planets. You couldn't see them before, but when it went dark, whoo, there they were, all out there. Nobody's running into anybody. They're just all out there in their own uh, formats and in their own uh, patterns uh, doing all those things that um, are certainly... Uh, uh, illustrations of God's magnificence. And this is why in Matthew 6, and I, I just want to take you over here to Matthew 6, remind all of us, especially at this time of the season, brethren, because I'm going to drive to a point here with regard to preparation, uh, because it is very important we as Christians take time to prepare. And here in verse 33 of Matthew 6, it puts it really in focus. Seek you first the kingdom of God, his righteousness. All these things shall be added unto you. Take therefore, therefore take. No thought for the morrow, for morrow shall take thought of the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. So we must be careful to prepare. It's very incumbent on all of us to be very vigilant of not, of not allowing ourselves to be unprepared. Very important. Be prepared, be prepared. And herein lies a very important reason on why the holy days, the Sabbath day, are very important items that we should be preparing for all the time. The Sabbath comes around once a week, you know. And when that sun is setting on a Friday night, it's important that we begin to start in our minds, or maybe even a little bit before, to begin preparing ourselves mentally and emotionally. Taking time to recognize that we are entering into a different day of the week. This is different. It stands alone. Those other six days are work days for us to do what we've got to do in order to make whatever we're trying to make work, work. But the reality of it is, on the Sabbath day, it's time to think why we do those things that we do. Why are we involved in the methodologies, the, the positionings, the, the efforts, and the way that we uh, put forth our efforts. It's very important that we do indeed take the time to uh, uh, think about these things. Very important. Three very important items in remembering about the Sabbath and preparation of the holy days is number one, prepare. Number two, prepare. <laughs> and number three, Prepare, 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 prepare. Build your life around those preparations. Without preparations, you will either reduce the value of those holy days and Sabbath days to just another day, or you'll stop keeping them altogether. And it's easy to do. It's easy to do. Life comes at you fast. It really does. And there's a lot of things that are very distracting 
and sometimes in our physical mind, uh, the way we think in our carnality, oftentimes we tend to rearrange, reshuffle our priorities. And in so doing, sometimes we fall on dangerous ground, much like the, uh, the sower of the seed parable, where there's three different types of uh, categories of individuals. And one of those categories, I don't know if you remember all the categories, but one of those categories is the seed that falls into the dirt, grows up, but the cares of this world chokes it off. And it too, that, through that method of caring too much for the world, caring too much uh, about the physical things that we pursue our lives around and focus our lives around, can oftentimes distract us into pits, uh, into ruts, uh, into uh, rabbit holes, as they say, taking us away from God and being more counterproductive than productive in the development of our relationships uh, with God. I, I remember when my daughters were young and uh, they were still under our care. Now they're all grown up with uh, children and uh, their own houses and own families. But the, the reality of it is, is that uh, those days were special. I have memories of every Friday night you go coming home and making sure that we were indeed coming home, or that I was on time, and uh, having a special meal all set up, and then a Bible study thereafter, all the time, making sure that we had that opportunity to take time to communicate with each other, to build each other uh, up in not only through uh, understanding about God, but using that as the focal point to develop the relationships that we had with each other. And that was an important time. It was a very important time in the development of our relationships and, of course, uh, became very important time to uh, the development of our relationship with God. And what I'm talking about, and we don't use this word that often so much in our church culture, but it is an important word to, to become familiar with and, and perhaps to warm up to, and that is to have devotion. Devotion is a very important word because what you're devoted to, you know what? In most cases, you do. If you're devoted to it, you're going to do it. And devotions are important in the, in the sense of our relationships with God, our Father, and Jesus Christ. And it is important that we, we do take time to develop these uh, kinds of relationships, but they aren't going to happen. They're not going to happen unless we express the level of and degree of devotion that is so important in, in uh, underscoring the just opportunity to have those uh, relationships with God and Jesus Christ. Because let's face it, admittedly, things encroach on us, don't they? It's easy to default back into TV. It's easy to default onto the computer, especially in today's high-tech uh, day and age, easy to default into our telephones, you know, and start uh, getting distracted with this story, that story, or this text, or that text, or answering email uh, that could easily wait until Sunday, or easily wait till Monday, or whatever. And I say that because I, I find myself falling guilty many times. I wish I, I could admit that it wasn't as often as it is, but it is many times. I find myself falling into these ruts, into these time stealers, where the distraction doesn't afford me uh, the real quality time that I'd like to have uh, in developing uh, the um, relationship and, and awareness of God in, in my own life and, of course, the knowledge that God 
uh, is offering me and have and we all have available to us if we'd only take the time. So my point is if we don't take the time to devote ourselves to some real quality time, we're not going to have the opportunity to maximize our gifts or our relationship to God like we could. And guess what that will do? That will cut you out of understanding certain deeper and richer meanings about yourself, about life in general, about the perspectives you should have that should correlate with and connect up with Jesus Christ. Because if you don't study Christ, you won't understand his perspective, his outlook. You'll take on the outlooks of a lot of these talking heads. You take the outlooks of of a lot of these others who are more carnal in their nature, that are in some, some ways... Uh, very anti-God on both the alt-right and on the alt-left in, all, in, in many cases because many of the leaders today that we have are not really God-oriented. And if they do have a form of righteousness, as pointed out in 1 Timothy 3, they by far do not act like it regardless of how much they want you to think They are indeed religious. We've got to stay above the fray, and that's hard. It's hard to stay above the fray if indeed we don't take the time to do what we are called to do. Part of what we're called to do, brethren, is located in Leviticus chapter 23. I want to hammer this home on this latter half of the time I have for this presentation. In chapter 23 in the book of Leviticus, in verse 1, the Lord speaks to Moses and he says, Speak to the children of Israel. This is not Jewish holy days. This is not Israel's holy days. These are God's holy days. And he just happened to give them to Israel first. He says, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, Concerning the feasts of the Jews? No. The feasts of Israel? No. The feasts of the Lord, that's whose feasts they are, which you shall proclaim to be holy meetings, holy get-togethers, holy gatherings. These are commanded assemblies. You will be there. You will like it. Come to the feast. All things are prepared, (laughs) you know. These are mandates, brethren. Orders by God, not me. Hey, I'm just a conduit. I'm just saying what he said, saying here. That's all I'm saying. I'm just mimicking what he is saying. And he says, which you shall proclaim to be holy meetings. Even these are my feasts. The first one out of the box from the get-go, six days. You shall work, put on the brakes for the seventh day. Stop. Bring down the hatches. Close the curtains. Figuratively speaking. (laughs) And begin to devote your now devotions in a holy time period. That is holy. Whether we keep it holy or not, it's holy. By you not keeping it holy doesn't 
diminish the holiness of that time. It just diminishes the value you're going to get from it. That's what it diminishes. You become the one who suffers. For God, he's putting it there and hopes that you will abide by it because he knows if you do, you will benefit from it. And it's taken me quite a few years to get over the hump of the Sabbath where I viewed it as an inconvenience, an interrupter, a rude, uh, what you could say, um, interception of my time from what I wanted to do to where now I look toward it, I look forward to it, that actually I wait for it with anticipation and excitement, and I like it. And why is that? Because over the years of my life, I see evidence that if I wouldn't have kept it, how my life would be. It's a guardrail. It's kept me grounded. It's kept me in relationship with, even when I've been so busy those six days where I've been taken down tunnels, figuratively speaking, and rabbit holes of concentration and focus to the point where God was the last thing on my mind because I was more concerned about a pump or a tank that I couldn't get through the window and how was I going to get it now into the room because it was too big for the window that I thought I could get it through or the doorway that I could get it through. And I'm just focused on making phone calls and contacts and pushing my business ahead that to have the time to devote to God at least that one day of the week kept me on, on the rails. It kept me on the rails. Sometimes by a thread, but at least I had that one day. And shame on me, as shame on all of us, if during the week we don't take time to study our Bibles. If we don't take time to pray, if we don't take time occasionally, some point, to fast outside of the days of atonement, and don't take time, shame on us, if we don't take time to meditate occasionally, even if it's for 15 minutes, even if it's for 20 minutes, even if it's to have a, have a scripture for the day, and when you're sitting at McDonald's having lunch or whatever you may be doing, having lunch in the cafeteria where you work or in the high school and or even in the college you might be attending to take the scripture of the day that you might have and concentrate and focus on how that applies, not to your neighbor, <laughs> to you, <laughs> to you. What can I learn today from my scripture of the day? If I asked any of you in the room here today, I hope by now, for those of you who are in uh, God's church or have been in God's church for some years, if I asked you, what's your favorite scripture in the Bible? You would have one. What's your favorite chapter in the Bible? You'd have one. What's your favorite book in the Bible? You'd have one. Who's your favorite character in the Bible? I hope you'd have one. Because by now we've become, we've become more familiar with what's going on in the Bible and certainly have had time to develop relationships uh, with God's Word in that regard to have these kinds of opinions and observations. But he says here in verse 3, chapter 23, book of Leviticus, six days you're going to work, be done, uh, shall work be done, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of rest, a holy meeting. You shall do no work. It is the Sabbath of the Lord in all your dwellings. That's important. Take it for what it is. It's real simple. Wherever you are, I've, I've often said this, wherever you are on a Sabbath, if you're not in church, if you're not doing either something that is helping your relationship with God 
or your fellow man slash family, ask yourself, why am I here? <laughs> why am I here and not in church? Do I really have a justifiable reason in light of that scripture not to be here? That's important. Because brethren, I'm telling you, as we go forward, the amount of devotion we have for these things, because we are the sovereign rulers of our time for the time being, there will be more distractions that will tempt us to diminish and undermine and or what you could say uh, decrease the value of importance of these things. And I speak only as a pastor who's observing things since I've been ordained and have watched people come and go and have watched certain trends eat away incrementally at individuals till finally, hey, where's so-and-so? He left. He's gone. And you can see it. You can see it happening. Passover goes on. The 14th day of the first month, that evening, the Lord's Passover. 15th day of the same month, Feast of Unleavened Bread. First day, you shall of unleavened bread. Keep it, holy meeting. Last day, the seventh day, verse 8. Keep it, convocation, holy day. You shall do no work for pay. That's what servile work means. No work for pay on that day. It kind of reminds Ryan's. Um, he goes on here with regards to the, uh, the feasts of all these, Pentecost, uh, Feast of Trumpets coming up, the Day of Atonement, verse 27. Going down through this chapter, brethren, take some time in preparation of these coming fall holy days. Read Leviticus 23 slowly. Notice all of the mandates on you personally. And I'm saying, watch my lips, mandates. These are required convocations. The Church of God International does not enforce. Years ago in the Worldwide Church of God, it was a little different. <laughs> but the fact of it is, we're not in any way, shape, or form interested any longer as a ministry to develop codependent Christians on organizations. Organizations have their place. They're okay, but they certainly don't define the church. What defines the church is your freedom of choice because guess who's the church? You. You. Your relationship with Jesus Christ has nothing to do with your relationship with me. Aren't you glad? <laughs> and in reverse, I'm glad my relationship with Jesus Christ has nothing to do with you. Except, in some ways, as a minister, it does. Because I am responsible to preach the word honestly, forthrightly, openly, transparently, truthfully, and as honestly as I can. Because why? I care for your spiritual health. I really do. And being in the ministry over so many years now, since 1986 when I was ordained, has brought me to appreciate people and be immensely saddened 
when I see certain ones drop off in the course of the journey. It saddens me as a pastor. Brethren, read Leviticus 23. Read it slow and understand these are mandates not from CGI, not from Bill Watson. It has nothing to do with me or CGI, but everything to do with you personally, Jesus Christ and God our Father. You are connected to the vine. And that vine is represented by God. He is the, the vine in that parable, in that, in that allegory. And you are the branch connected directly to him. And there are certain connections, tethers, that afford you fluidity of God's spirit in you. And let me remind you, Sabbath keeping and holy day observing is part of that connection and tethering that provides God's Holy Spirit to flow freely in you for your benefit in the development of your insight and relationship with God. And I'm not saying to make the holy days or the Sabbath an idol. I'm just saying they're tools. Keep it in focus. They're tools that God has given us in our toolbox to afford us the ability to hammer out, to construct a better relationship with him that is indeed intimate, powerful, and will generate more devotion from you because you'll see the benefits in your life if you adhere to these things. And the Feast of Tabernacles, this is a tough one. This is a tough one because there are many people who do not prepare for the feast. And I know that sometimes it can be difficult and hard to hear sometimes information that, that comes to us. But it would be remiss of me not to quote 34, speak to the children of Israel. You are the children of Israel in circumcision of faith in Christ. You're all Jews. I don't care what color your skin is. I don't care what your backgrounds are. I don't care what your ethnicities are. You're all spiritual Jews, those of you who are baptized. Therefore, this applies to you. Anybody that says the Old Testament has no contemporary application doesn't know what they're talking about in a modern-day Christian uh, purpose and or world. It does. It has everything to do. And this is not legalism. This is purely a means by which you can... Uh, enjoy a deeper relationship with God. He says, speak to these Israelites and say, the 15th day of the seventh month is, shall be a feast of tabernacles for seven days unto the Lord. On the first day, mandate, be there. A holy meeting. No one shall do servile, work for pay. Do not do work for pay. Seven days you shall offer an offering made by fire unto the Lord. Eighth day shall be another holy convocation. Not part of the Feast of Tabernacles, but it's an eighth day. It's connected. It comes right after. Sun sets on the seventh day of the Feast of Tabernacles, and that commences the eighth day. That's what we're talking about here. Shall be a holy meeting. Mandate. 
demand, requirement. You will be there unto you, and you shall offer an offering made by fire unto the Lord. It's a solemn assembly. It's holy. You shall do no work for pay. Don't work on that day. These are the feasts of the Jews. No. The feast of the Lord's. They're not even the feast of Israel. Israel just happened to get them first. They're the feast of God. They are the feasts of God. He says here, um, which you shall proclaim to be holy meetings. And that's what I'm doing. That's what I'm doing. I'm proclaiming that these are holy meetings and that we need to be there. I'm just the messenger. I'm just saying, as they say, about these things. And so it's important for us, going back to what I'm talking about, because this is just another little segment, a little aspect of life, in our li- uh, of life in our lives, and that is preparation for the Sabbath weekly and, of course, seven times throughout the year for these holy days as they come to us as the days progress through, through the year. And so, so it is very, very important that uh, we go ahead and do this simply because of the uh, value, of course, of them. It says here, you shall, verse 41, just finishing up here in chapter 23 of the book of Leviticus, uh, verse 41, you shall keep it a feast unto the Lord seven days in the year. It shall be a statute forever in your generations. Are we still generations down? Of course. Here we are. We're cognizant. I'm aware. You're aware. We're, We're here. And generations haven't stopped yet. You shall observe or celebrate in the seventh month. That's Tishri. We're entering into it. You shall dwell in booths seven days, temporary dwellings. Why is that? Why seven days and eight days, of course, because we stay there. It's just, that's the way it falls out. Do we stay in motels and tents and campers and things of this sort? Well, those are all metaphors. Metaphors to drive home the fact that you are not permanent yet. You're in progress. You're in a mode of progression that is taking you from mortality to immortality. We haven't yet received our reward yet. We're still progressing toward that. So therefore, we're in temporary dwellings. This flesh was never made or intended to last forever. It never was. So it's important for us to understand. And you know what? Living in a hotel, a camper, a tent, whatever it may be, for seven, eight days, is really, that's only part of it. That's only part of it. There's another lesson. The lesson of whether or not you're willing to lock your door, your house, get in the car with what you've decided to get in, and leave everything behind. Showing It doesn't mean anything to you. Don't tell me, show me. You say that you're spiritual? You say you don't care about your things? Leave them. Lock the door and leave them. And come with the idea, and I'm not saying this, don't take me out of context, that I'm not coming back. You'll probably come back. But my point is, that you're willing to leave, and if you don't go back, 
Like Jesus tells us in Matthew 24, if you get to the roof of your house and you take off, don't look back. Don't be like Lot's wife. Don't look back. You lock the door. That's all you can hope for. The house is secure. But if not, and somebody gets in there because you're gone and so forth and so on, guess what? Who cares? It's only things. I got my Bible. <laughs> I was asking Margie the other last night, as a matter of fact, what would we take if we were having to evacuate because a hurricane was coming. You, we don't have those kinds of things here in Ohio. We have snowstorms and snow blizzards. I'll take a snowstorm and snow blizzard any day over a hurricane, <laughs> even below zero. But what would you take? You sit there and you think, what will I do? Well, I take my Bible. I take my briefcase probably. Pictures, though. You got all these things, you know, something favorite of yours. Uh, you know, a, uh, a family, uh, what do you call them? Family heirlooms. You know, all, all kinds of stuff that you have that you... Um, you know, might want to take with you, but you only have so much space in your car to take. What would you take? The Feast of Tabernacles forces you, lock the door, take what you can, leave it. You know what else it teaches you? It teaches you to prepare. Guess what? I have to save money. I have to take out, Bible says, 10% of your income and prepare for the expenses that I'm going to incur on myself. And so every paycheck, I have to think, prepare, prepare. The kingdom of God, in metaphor, is out ahead. Am I going to be there? Every year I've got a chance to show God, not tell him, oh yeah, I want to be in your kingdom, I want to be in your kingdom. Don't tell me, show me. Every year I give you a metaphoric kingdom of God. A metaphoric kingdom of God. Are you going to be there physically, literally, really enjoying the metaphor I've provided you with for, spirit, for taking in spiritual food, Bible studies, sermons, fellowship, meeting new friends, going to a different place, being a disoriented, leaving your goods and your belongings, taking what you can, and because you've prepared so much, maybe even have a little extra, enjoy charitable giving to other brethren who you find among the course of your time there that they need some money. So you got an extra 20 bucks, you got an extra 100 bucks, you got an extra 200 bucks to give them, or maybe you're going to take them out to dinner and uh, give them a dinner on you because you got a little extra. And the, and the, the sense of feeling that that gives you as a Christian and a spirit being who's serving humankind and the satisfaction that comes from you sharing what you have, you know. There are people that go to the feast and they hunker down and they don't, they don't visit, they don't go anywhere. Guess what? They're missing something. The feast is there to make friends. The feast is there to give. The feast is there to, to share yourself with other people. The feast is there to have fun. Make friends, enjoy, share your goods, your money, if need be. There's a lot of stuff, a lot of stuff, and we don't get it. We don't get it, brethren, if indeed we don't go. And here, what God is saying is very, uh, very important in that he's providing us all these tools, all these tools, if only we will use them. Proverbs chapter 30, Proverbs chapter 30 going into, again, this idea of preparation. We read here in chapter 30, <clears throat> I'm sorry, chapter 24 and verse 30, chapter 24 and verse 30, 
we read this. Uh, I went by the field of the slothful and by the vineyard of the man void of understanding. Brethren, let me drill down because the Feast of Tabernacles is the most demanding holy day upon us. It's demanding on me too. Believe me. It's demanding on all of us. So let's, let's take this in the context that I'm talking about and talk about this in the context of saving for the feast. I went by the field of the slothful and by the vineyard of the man void of understanding. And lo, it was all grown over. The thorns, the nettles, then all uh, covered the face thereof and the stone wall thereof was broken down. It was all just all helter-skelter, very blighted. I saw and I considered it well. I looked upon it. I received instruction. He received instruction by just looking upon the disarray. He received a concentrated consideration. He received instruction. Yet a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to sleep. So shall your poverty come as one that travails and your want as an armed man. And what that means basically, as other translations will tell you, is that you will be robbed by an armed man. And the sad reality of that is, in this case, you know who the robber is? Who's the robber? Yourself. Why? Because you didn't prepare. You robbed yourself. You robbed yourself of the ability to not have your yard in such disarray, to not have the things that are described here in this uh, chapter that is uh, talked about. It's not easy for some of us to go to the Feast of Tabernacles. I could give you a litany of reasons why you should not go or you, you cannot go or that you would rationalize not going to the Feast of Tabernacles. I'm not going to go through that litany. What we've got to understand is when do we stop making excuses for ourselves or, let me put it this way, when do we stop rationalizing ourselves out of the responsibility of these mandates. You, you read Leviticus 23. Of these mandates, God has upon all baptized spiritual Jews. Because we are masters at rationalizing. I've, I've counseled people where, well, I've got financial problems. So I've said to them, well, save and go to the feast every third year. Go to the feast every fourth year. Every four years you go to the, go to the feast on the Jubilee year of a seven-year cycle. Save, but, but show God your devotion. Word, devotion. Devote. If you can't save 10%, devote 10% over 10 years. That's 1%. And you go to the feast every 10 years. I'll go to the feast every five years, so I'll, I'll just take off 5%. I can't save 10%. Mandate 10%, but, okay, 
I'll save 5% because in my mind, I'm going to go every five years and that'll come up. I don't think that calculates right either. But at any rate, my point is, is that we could, if we think about it perhaps, do that. Maybe. But here, here, here's, the, here's the rub. It's up to you. It's not up to me. It's up to you. Because, see, your calling is very personal. Your calling is between you and God. And therefore, it is very important that we recognize, and we do. Taking the kingdom of God is hard stuff. Just try saving for the Feast of Tabernacles. That puts it in perspective. How hard is it to go to the feast every year? It's difficult. How many of us, and I'm not going to ask for a hand raising, but out of 10 years, have you hit all 10? Out of 15, hit all 15. Out of 20, hit all 20. 30, how 30, you know. How many have you missed out of 30? 10, missed out of 20. 10, 5? The point of it is, it's important, brethren, we understand. The target is every year. God gives no, no uh, maybes about that. All I'm saying, though, is, is that it's important we recognize God's looking at our devotion and how and whatever degree it may be, it's got to be better than zero. It's got to be better than zero. And that's what God is looking at. It's got to be better than zero. Here in Matthew, I won't turn there, but you know about how the kingdom of God has suffered violence. It's suffered violence down through generations. And you know what? Those who are devoted to getting into that kingdom will take it by force. And that is just raw dedication, commitment, and resolve. Because it is hard. Admittedly, it is hard. And Romans chapter 7, I'm not going to belabor that. I'll give it to you for homework. But Romans chapter 7, verses 15 through 25, what is that all about? You remember it. We covered it in the book of Romans in the Bible study. Paul talks about how he does the things he shouldn't do. And the things that he should do, he doesn't do. And he shares this struggle within himself of this law of sin, this tendency to default back to the old comfort zones, the old ways of comforting uh, himself and dealing with his problems. And it's unfortunate in that regard because uh, certainly he does illustrate to us who really is our helper, and that's Jesus Christ at the end of that. So it's no reason, as we close this up, that Paul, talking to the Christians in Thessalonica in his second letter, says this, and this was important for Paul, to say to these Christians, especially if you read chapter 2 of 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, you will see that he's talking about the mystery of iniquity is already at work. The Hellenists were moving in. The Gnostics were moving in. The little embryonic development of the church of God in its baby stage was becoming compromised. It was becoming waylaid. It was becoming kicked off the rails by virtue of all of these pagan teachings that were surrounding it through Mithraism, through Socrates, Plato, and all the Hellenistic influences that were coming out of Alexandria and all of this stuff, immortality of the soul, solstice worships and equinoxes and all that stuff. And these things were happening. They were coming in. People were getting confused. Well, maybe it's... It's not all that important. What's wrong with Sunday? 
What's wrong with Christmas? There's nothing wrong with that. Look what Paul says. Look how he says this. He goes down through this, talking about uh, all the deceivableness and how, uh, in verse 10, uh, and with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish, because they received not the love of the truth that they might be saved. He goes down through again a, a, a discourse here, a narrative, and finally concludes, he says, Therefore, brethren, verse 15, Therefore, brethren, 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 15, stand fast, hold the traditions. And that Greek word means Jewish traditions. You look it up in your uh, Strong's Concordance, uh, Young's Analytical Concordance. It's not talking about hold to the traditions of solstice worship or to equinox worship or to sun worship. Paul's appealing to these people in Thessalonica to hold the traditions they've been brought up in via the Old Testament. That was the only scriptures available. The Old Testament was the Bible of that early New Testament. There was no New Testament yet. He's referencing Leviticus 23. He's referencing Deuteronomy. He's referencing the laws of Moses, those first five books, the Torah. And he says, hold the traditions which you have been taught, whether by word or epistle, verbally or in writing. Hold to them. Hold tight. Don't let anybody drag you off of your commitment to those days. And he says, now our Lord Christ himself, God, even our Father, which has loved us and has given us everlasting consolation and good hope through grace, comfort your hearts and establish you in every good word and work. Real quickly, last scripture. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Verse 1. Be you followers of me. This is to a different church, the Corinthian church. Be you followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. Now I praise you, brethren that you remember me in all things and keep the ordinances. That Greek word, ordinances, same word as traditions over in Thessalonians. Same word. Same word means same thing, attracted to, appealing to, keeping the ordinances of the Old Testament Torah. That's what he's talking about. And he says here, the ordinances, as I delivered them unto you. Brethren, be prepared. Be prepared for every weekly Sabbath. Take the time to prepare for the holy days as they come along to you every year. And don't, don't underestimate the value of the importance of you abiding by, committing to, and devoting, devoting your time and effort to make sure that you do enter into the kingdom of God in metaphor.